Welcome to the Bottom Line Health Podcast. I am your host, Richard Huffman, expert in all things Bottom Meinhof. We talk about left-wing urban German terrorism of the 1970s, student radicalism, and other related ephemera. It's the only podcast devoted to, yet unaffiliated with, the Bader Meinhof group. And this is the first podcast I've done in like well over two years. Um, I've just been doing a lot of other things, but I'm back at it. And uh, I have a really interesting interview for you guys to hear today, or portions of it. Um, today's interview is going to be about, is a, I'm interviewing a man named Charles Morris and his wife, Ursula Morris. And he was a witness to the May 11th, 1972 bombing of the Fifth Corps uh, United States um, European Command Headquarters in Frankfurt, Germany. This is the bombing that killed Lieutenant Colonel Paul Bloomquist, one of the first terrorist acts against an American international terrorist acts. Um, and, um, and it was a really devastating event, in particular for Morris, as you'll learn um, today. Um, this is one of many interviews I've done with witnesses to this particular um, bombing. So if you're interested in going deep into it, um, other, one, other interviews I have on my podcast are with Larry David Young, who is an MP who witnessed um, one of the bombs that, that blew up that day in a different part of the facility. Um, Peter Glier, who, who just happened to be standing virtually right next to Lieutenant Colonel Bloomquist when he got killed, and he himself was severely, severely injured by the same bomb. Um, I interviewed Ron Jacobs and Bob Berwin and Scott uh, uh, Tatina, who all three um, witnessed these bombs um, um, going off. Um, I also did an appreciation of... Um, of Lieutenant Bloomquist talking a little bit about him and his life and his background um, in a special podcast. I did that right after I'd interviewed um, Bloomquist's brother um, about what his brother was like, and and um, and it's a very interesting podcast. I hope you uh, want to check it out. So all of those are available on podcasts um, uh, in my feed. If you go back a ways, you can find them all. I'm hoping to do two distinct kind of audio documentaries shortly. Um, God, they're going to take a lot of work, but I'm hoping to do this where I, I tell the story of what happened on May 11th, 1972, when those bombs went off at the Egate Farben building, weaving in the stories of, of all of these witnesses that I've interviewed. And, and then later I want to do a similar thing for the events at the Heidelberg um, bombing um, later that month uh, with... Um, with uh, at the Campbell Barracks, um, where three soldiers were killed, because um, I also have some amazing interviews there as well, including some I haven't released yet, which I'll put up on the website here soon or on my podcast. Um, so I hope to do that soon. But until then, you can sort of get the raw, unfiltered um, interview. So today I'm talking to Charles Morris, and Charles Morris was a Spec Four stationed in Frankfurt, 1972. And he was visiting the Ige Farben building, visiting the Terrace Club, which was like an annex to the building. And this bomb went off and, and it was, and it, it devastated him. He was hurt. He got glass in his, in his face. But beyond that, it um, uh, affected him emotionally for all the way up to this day. And this is something he didn't realize and often just goes unacknowledged. And that is the idea that terrorist bombing victims, a lot of times you just see it mentioned in passing in a paper. You hear all about 
the terrorist, and you don't hear about how troubled the lives are of some of these victims who were forced to go through this or witness it. And and uh, Mr. Morris is a case in point because he suffered from undiagnosed PTSD from this for years, and and he suffered terrific anxiety. I mean, just really awful problems. And it was clearly directly related to his experience here. So in my interview, I touch on a lot of that. I also interview his wife, who Mr. Morris credits with saving his life. And it was not easy for her to deal with this. And they still struggle with this challenge even right up to today. And 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 I have a special affinity for people like Mr. Morris, you know, only because um, you know, I was too young to remember these, but of course, if you listen to my podcast, you know, my dad, uh, was the bomb disposal, head of the bomb disposal unit for the U S army in Berlin from 1970 to 72. And, and he diffused a bunch of bombs by the June 2nd moon, which were sort of the, the friends of the Bader Meinhof group. In fact, you can hear my interview of the bomb maker who made the bombs that could have killed my parents on bombing bombing and uh, also on podcast. Um, and, and they, they, they left a bomb where my mom was having lunch and they possibly targeted my dad, although Bombi Bauman says they didn't. My dad thinks they did. Um, who knows? Either way, my parents both could have died. And I often think of how different my life would have been. So I have a special thought in my heart for, for these victims, because often they're not thought about when people talk about terrorism, terrorism issues. Um, so anyway, with that in mind, um, I hope you enjoyed this um, interview. I just have one little brief note that uh, Mr. Morris, you know, he's got a condition that causes him to cough and, and, and get short of breath. So I, I've edited some of that out in the interview with him. So, you, so you're not hearing that. But when I interview his wife, you can hear him kind of coughing in the background. And just to let you know, that's what's going on. And, and I was so grateful that he spent as much time as he did um, speaking with me because it's clearly a struggle for him to talk. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this. And remember, if you ever want to get a hold of me, feel free to email me directly at richard at richardhuffman.com or there's or go to the forum on my website and put your question in the forum form. I always respond to questions that are in the forum. I think I do. Um, but anyway, if you have any comments, suggestions, um, feel free to email me. Remember the podcast is always free. It will always be free. So the one way you can show your appreciation is going to iTunes and giving a five-star review and saying how great you think it is. Anyway, without further ado, here is my interview with Charles and Ursula Morris. Why don't we start a little bit about yourself and, um, your career in the military and what brought you to Frankfurt? Okay, I was stationed at Drake Edwards. I came there in 19, January 1972. Mm -hmm. And I was, uh, I stayed there from 72 to 77. Hmm. Yeah, at Drake, I was on uh, Edwards. It's called a Drake Edwards on Hamburg Landstrasse. Yep. And what, yep. Was, what was your, um, what, what uh, job did you have in the military? Transportation. So you were driving um, trucks around or Jeeps around and stuff like that? Yeah, large trucks. We was uh, semis. We were driving semis. Um, okay, so you were stationed at um, basically at the base there, and of course, the big prominent building on the base is the Ige Farben building, um, which was the the I think is called five. Is it called Fifth Corps or Five Corps headquarters? I never. That's, uh, fifth. That's fifth. Fifth Corps. Corps. Okay. But I was at uh, I was on Third Armored Division. I was up there. Uh, I was about uh, what was it? 
I was about a mile or two miles, about two miles from there. So what brought you that day in in uh, May of 72? What brought you to Fifth Corps? Okay, when I came down there, me and a friend of mine came there because we had heard that that was um, a trip, yep. you know, to go to, um, uh, I think it was Denmark, Holland, or somewhere. And But I had been told by some of the um, dependents that that would be leaving on Friday. But I didn't know that it was during the week, that it was going to leave during the week. Mm. And I didn't have authorization. I couldn't go during the week because I know that weekend I had no duty. So I went down there trying to get a ticket. You know, I thought I'd get me a ticket to go you know, on the weekend, take off Friday night. You know, maybe get back Sunday, me and a friend of mine. You know, it turns out, according to Larry David Young, that 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 the bus that was leaving that during the weekday, it was there. There was like a lot of families there waiting to get on this bus, if I remember right. Yeah, it was, yes. A lot of people with suitcases, yes. So you were basically going into the main building to try and get a ticket, even though you found out later it was actually for a different day. How long were you in the building? I was in the building for hmm, approximately... Uh, fifteen about fifteen minutes. So describe what the building, what the what the entryway, and what that what that um, foyer was like in that building. That foyer is huge. It was a big, big, huge foyer in there, and upstairs that was what they call the um, the club. I forget some of it. I'm I'm a little bit forgetful, but I remember mm-hmm. there was a club in there. That was officers' club, mm-hmm. but it was on the second floor. And that was, uh, what was that thing called? It was called the, um, uh, boy. Well, I know there was the, I know there was the Terrace Club, but I think that's actually, uh, that was actually a little ways away from that because two bombs went off. So that might have been a different club or a different thing because it's a huge complex. Yeah. It was either two, two bombs or three bombs went off there. But I saw the lieutenant, I saw the colonel, uh, right when I, um, uh, right there when I was coming out, because I had got hit in the face with uh, some shrapnel. It cut, uh, I got cut on the eye, and I saw him laying on the ground, and he had all his throat, you know, all of the, you know, everything. I mean, he was bleeding out, bleeding really, really bad. So okay, let's step back a second here. So you're so you're in in it, and you hear you just heard a huge bomb, or what, or what did, or how, describe how you what you heard and 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 what you did right after you heard it. Well, the, the explosion. Yep. I heard the explosion. I heard one bomb. I wouldn't didn't know what it was at the time. Didn't thought it was a bomb. Yep. But the second one, when the second one came, it knocked me knocked me uh, I don't know how many feet, you know. It uh, kind of uh, knocked me down, and uh, it was the second out of third bomb that knocked me down. I knew it was like, it was three or four bombs. Yep. Yeah, explosions, rather. And it knocked me down, and when I gathered my senses, when I got back up, I gathered my senses, and I'm like, uh, oh, what's going on? You know, like, you know, me and my buddy, we didn't know where we was living the dead. <laughs> because wow. it was... um. Yeah, I had got cut. I got cut under my eye, and my eye was bleeding pretty bad. You know, under my um, under my right eye. Sure. 
and that shrapnel hit me in there, and I don't even know what it was. I don't know whether it was glass, metal, brick. I have no idea what it was. But whatever hit me, man, it 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 it, it knocked me upside down. It knocked me, you know, a couple of feet. My understanding was that uh, the bomb in front of the club over there was placed in a, um, kind of a metal planter, and it was pieces of the planter that hit uh, the kernel, and then glass from the front of the entryway showered inwards, and that hit you, and I, I heard there was, I think, a woman and her daughter that were hurt, and some other people. Do you, do you, re- you remember other people being injured as well? It was quite a few people injured, quite a few. And I come out, and there was a major. A major was outside, and he told me, because I had on uniform. Yeah. And I was only a spec four at that time. So, and he told us to get on back to our units. You know, to get back to the units. So, me and my friend got in his little car, because he had a little car. So, we got in the car and went on back to the units. But I went to 97 General Hospital before I went to the units, mm-hmm. trying to get my skin taken care of, because my, my eye, I thought I had lost my eye. But I, I could see, you know, and what have you. Um, so when you were heading off to do that, did you return to the scene or you left immediately? Was there anybody like rendering first aid to any of these folks? No. They wouldn't let, they wouldn't let us get close to him because it took uh, mm, the, 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 the German ambulance and the, M, and the MP. There was one sergeant there. He was running around there. He was controlling everything. And um, that's about the only one I saw that was had some that had some authority, other than the officers there. Because the officers just, you know, they was just running. All, everybody was running around like rabbits. You know, we didn't know, you know, what was going on. What did, what did you guys, you know? what did you initially think? Did you, did it, was it clear right away that, wow, this was a bomb? Or was it just so confusing you couldn't figure out what had happened? No, it was so confusing, I couldn't figure out what had happened. You know, we didn't know exactly what happened. Until I, you know, <laughs> and I heard some more people say it's a bomb, you know, bomb. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And I had been seeing by the Meinhof, those guys had been sitting up there at our con- Drake concern, Drake and Edward. They used to watch us, but we couldn't do nothing to them. We was on, you know, guard duty. But they were sick across there and watch it. <clears throat> You're yeah, talking about like, you, you, so there was actual basically folks that were like young radicals that would hang out and uh, and watch you guys. Oh yeah, oh yeah, they would sit right there across the street and look right at us. And we co- couldn't do nothing about it. How come you guys weren't allowed to do anything about it? What was the justification? That was just they said they're not doing anything else. They can sit there and look, but the commander said we can't we can't do nothing. We can't say nothing to them. We can't do nothing. They just sit there and park, park there and sit there and look at them. And that was almost every night. In retrospect, it always surprises me how little, uh, um, how little security there was at that base, at the Heidelberg base that had the bomb um, several, uh, like a month later. I, I was always struck by how open those bases were. Did it seem very open to you at the time? Did it seem like, wow, this is... This is this is less secure than it than it should be, or was that just a product of the time? That was a product of the time. We didn't uh, they didn't let certain people on the base, but those guys, if they wanted to get on, I imagine they could get on. You know, it wasn't. Uh, and down at IG Farming Building, there was nobody really checking you to get in there. 
No, you didn't get checked. There was nobody checked you to go in the IG Palmer building. So can you remember um, some of the folks that you saw before you went off to the hospital and you, you saw like a lot of injured folks? Tell, can, tell me about some of these folks that you saw were injured and what, what was what kind of injuries they had. Okay, it was um, a couple of the ladies. One lady, she had some shrapnel, some glass that was in her uh, in her face. And a couple more people that had glass, but I don't know exactly because, like I said, we wasn't authorized to touch anyone or do anything, you know. They just told us to get out and down there because uh, they looked at me as being, I guess, suspect for, and I, you know, at that time I had no power. And that's in the officer section, so I got on out of there after that. Yeah. After we got, uh, kind of got myself together and me and my buddy left. So later on that day, when everybody realizes this this was a terrorist bomb, what did your buddies think of what you guys had gone through? Oh, well, we were just think we were thankful to be alive. Yeah, yeah, we were thankful to be alive because they had you know just lucky that it didn't put my eye out because it hit me right underneath the eye, under my right eye, and almost it almost got my eye. Do you ever think about how 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 your life might have been different had? had uh had you been severely injured that way i mean it sounds i mean i'd be incredibly yeah. grateful yeah it's um my life has been different i'm having a lot of difficulty because of that now yeah, why why I do you say a lot of difficulty in what in what way i have to go to uh, mental health all the time i have to go i've been going now for a year yeah, because I have so many problems, man. I have nightmares, buildings falling down on me. I, I just, I just have uh, it's, it, it's been rough for me for forty years. Wow. Yeah, it's been really, really rough for forty years. They just, uh, you know, it's just, I have to go. Uh, it's been so bad on me. They have to put me in a class where there's one on one. I have one on one um, uh, uh, sessions, you know. Wow. With, uh, like a therapist. My wife is there with me, and um, and the um, the psychiatrist. Yeah, I've been like this for you know, forty years, man. It's been it's been a mess. I have nightmares. I can't sleep. You know, I sleep like an average of three hours a night. You know, now they got me on sleeping apnea uh, medication and what have you. It's just it's been hell. I've been I've been couldn't hold a job. You know, it's just been rough. It's been and my wife put up with me. You know, that's the that's the only good thing about it. She put up with me. Otherwise, I would have committed suicide. Wow. Because uh, it's it's just, and I have so many illnesses, you know, from 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 this 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 stuff, you know. Well, I'm grateful for your wife. It sounds like your wife's uh, pretty much a saint for you. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Now she knows lots about it because I had told her when I could really remember a whole lot. Now, if you can mind, you can talk to her a little bit. She's German. Sure. Well, let, let me let me ask let me ask a couple more questions to you, and then I'd be happy to talk. I'd love to talk to your wife, real quick. So so let's so so after this, as you guys started learning, it was about the Bader Meinhof group. The, the group um, did 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 they start tightening down security? Because I know there was another bombing. I think in seventy six at the or seventy five yeah. at the thing. So did they yeah. tighten down security, or was there more? Or did it did it strike you as they weren't taking it serious even after it? Yeah, they they tightened up a little security. They put guards on the gate, you know, and what have. Well, she always had guards on the gate, 
but then the guards had no 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 ammo, you know. Hmm. So what what good was that? Hmm. You on the gate, but uh, you had no ammo, and they had guards walking around the line and the the perimeters of the fences, you know. Cause on on our was concerned, that was a lot a lot of um, a lot of fence there. And the, and, and he just you know that walk through there with with M16 with no ammo. And Ed Edwards is that that's like kind of a, a mini base that was about a mile away, right? Yeah. yeah. Edwards and Drake, Drake and Edwards were right across from each other. Okay. Yeah. Drake was on the other side, Edwards on the other side. So you one on the like left side and one on the right side. And how old were you again in nineteen seventy two? I was about nineteen. So you had just joined the military yeah, at that I was point. 19, yeah. Where did you did you were were you only in the military for five years or were you did you retire from it? No, I stayed in for seven. So I got out because I had so many problems. They had put in my um, they wrote in my record. Then I was having a lot of uh, mental issues. You had mentioned that they that in your in your um, file they didn't even mention the bombing in your file. Is that true? Nope, they didn't put them. They didn't mention that in my files. But then but they put in there. I had uh, mild to moderate anxiety. Hmm. Yeah, see, I had had it for um, a year or so, plus a year, you know, or something like that. And they put it in there, and that's why I got out, because I had made sergeant. And I said, then I, I see my career slipping away, because I was getting angry and having all kinds of, you know, it, was, it, it just wasn't going right for me. Hmm. And I'd rather get out before I wound up hurting someone or something, so I just, I just went on and got out. I got so, out. When my enlistment time was up, I didn't re-enlist, and I just got out. And now we're going to hear from Mr. Morris's wife, Ursula Morris. And one thing to bear in mind when you hear my interview with her is, is um, a lot of Germans of the time, just normal folks, often left-leaning, often middle of the road, um, they kind of would lump everything under the rubric of, of Bader Meinhof, any student radicalism. So, um, so if there's protests and other stuff, which often had nothing to do with the Bader Meinhof group, to them, to a certain extent, that represented Bader Meinhof. And you get a little feel for it here because to them, it's just, it's the stuff that's inconveniencing them, driving them nuts, and it, it all falls under this rubric of radicalism. Um, so you'll hear a little bit of that in this interview. No, no, I'm from, I'm from, I'm German. I'm oh, from Germany. okay, that's, that's, so did, so did you meet him over in Germany? Yes, I used to work at the U.S. consulate and at the U.S. Trade Center. Wow. Okay. Cool. So, so, um, so when did when did you meet him? Was this after this bombing or about? Yes, yes. It was after that. It was in uh, in late uh, like November, December of 1972, and we were dating. And then in 1973, in June, uh, I had an apartment, and he moved in with me. Wow. What, yeah, what and then two years later, we got married. Yeah. What is your recollection of that time period about living in Germany during the like during at that the time? yeah when the Bonner Meinhof group was on was was scaring everybody? I mean, I was just a little kid. I only barely uh -huh. remember this. In fact, I honestly don't remember any of this because I was so young. But I've often wondered what it must have felt like to have been an average German at that time. Yes, uh, during uh, during that time was. Um, uh, I remember that uh, there was an accident in 1976. I think they attacked the um, 
the IG Fab building again in 76. They did. And be, but before that, they, we got locked in at the U.S. consulate a lot of time down in the basement that we couldn't go home because, you know, there were attacks and they were outside. And I could never understand why they let them demonstrate like this <laughs> and, you know, not doing anything about it. And they, uh, they gave them a lot of freedom to roam around like this. But, um, yeah, I was, uh, as you could probably hear, my husband is a African-American. Mm-hmm. And um, I was just wondering, after I met him, when um, he had... <coughs> He had he had some issues, uh, uh, and I asked him, but he wouldn't come uh, open about it. So finally, after so and so many years, I um, we moved from California to Michigan, and I just went and talked to his primary care physician, and I told him I said I think he needs to see a psychiatrist because I think some of the symptoms I've been reading on the internet, and I think I've been putting up with this for too long. I think he has PTSD because there are some things that happened in his life. Because while he was in basic training in Louisiana, he got uh, he received a faulty uh, gas mask. You know, they go for basic training. They go into these buildings where yeah. then they let smoke out and stuff like this. The gas chamber, what they call it. Yeah. And he had a faulty gas mask, and he he stopped breathing. And he, he thought he's going to die. And they, let, they, they took him out and they took him to the hospital and stuff like this. And, but there's only sketchy um, mentioning in his uh, medical records. But the other thing is when that happens there, he feels like it was his responsibility to help this colonel. He didn't know the colonel's name or anything like this. He had the uniform on. And I don't even know whether my husband actually saw that this, it was a colonel because right after it happened, he saw that man laying there, and he was bleeding profusely, and he screamed for the medics, screamed for the medics. But I think it took a long time before they even came. And before they came, they told him and his buddy, it was, I think it was a major or uh, was it a major? It was, it was a, a major l- lieutenant. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, okay, a major or uh, some. Yeah, it was an officer, and he told them to get back to their units because they don't belong to 5th. They belong to um, uh, to 3rd Armed Division to, to get back. But those two guys, they were never interviewed. Now, when he went back to work the next day on Friday morning, um, the, the commander, it was his name was Captain Green, uh, he asked him, you know, what happened uh, to, to your eye, and he told him, what has happened? He said, "Okay, well, we have to make this a part of your record." But then, apparently, nobody ever did, and they never called him in for any questioning, for any witness or something like this. And I guess he was young. He said, "Oh, forget about it," and he didn't do anything about it. But um, th- that's what happened. But he feels guilty, like that he couldn't help that man, and he obviously sees mm-hmm. that man in front of him when he when he has these nightmares, you know. So, and it just get wor- it, it just got worse and worse and worse, and I. And finally, I said, "Yeah, we're gonna go." And yeah, and they do, and they do that. They do help him. So, you know, yeah. I've I've tried to track down. I have yet to find any official, the official army or U.S. military report uh-huh. on the incident. I, I've I've gotten some copies of some um, statements made by soldiers, like right after the incident about it. But I've yet to see uh-huh. any official report. It's almost as if they didn't take it 
I mean, I imagine they took it seriously, but it's Mm -hmm. almost like they didn't take it very seriously. And I've often wondered why. Maybe it was partly like a more innocent time. They thought this stuff happens, but it seems crazy. It was like a direct attack on the United States military, and it didn't seem to have Mm -hmm. a huge effect on the military at the time. But But I may be reading into that. I may be wrong on that. No, you you, uh, you might be right, because during that time, actually, we were more, it, it was, we didn't think about it, but I know I was German, so I I was used to going to work and had to like, leave the streetcar, what they call it, you know, the, 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 uh, we didn't have the subway at that time, that came yes, a little bit later. But we had to uh, leave the streetcar because there were so many demonstrations. They were all against Vietnam, against, you know, all those kind of things. And I was on the other side because before I worked at the U.S. maintenance plant in Frankfurt, Rodelheim, before I started working there. And in between there, I worked for the German government. So it was, um, uh, it was a time where there was many, many that were against Whatever the uh, United States did and whatever uh, Germany did with the United States, they were all against it. And they would lay on a Friday night when everybody got off work and wanted to go home. They laid in front of the bus stations, the train stations, and nothing was moving. Hmm. You know, so, um, I mean, uh, many times you had to walk for a couple of miles (laughs) to catch a streetcar just to get back home. Hmm. Because where we we were right downtown, uh, it was all closed off because there were too many demonstrations. I mean, talking about demonstrations, there wasn't not just one thousand or two thousand people. You're talking about ten thousand, twenty thousand people. You know, I mean, a lot of them. So yeah. Did um, were you there? Were you there in 1977 and 76? I was there in 76. I was there in 77. Uh huh. So did you follow the, um, were you following the, the trial in Stamheim and following the, 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 the events when they all killed themselves in prison? Was that, were, were you connecting that to the crimes that happened against your husband? Um, yeah, well, I, uh, um, um, I told, I asked my husband whether he had any, um, um, was he ever interviewed was he, I was just looking for, uh, from a legal standpoint. Yep. I was working at the consulate at that time. Yeah. And I asked him, I said, you know, because um, if there's ever something going to happen, you know, you should have something. Maybe um, we, we were too naive. I didn't know that you get paid in case that you can yep. find a job or anything like this. I, I didn't even know anything about that. So we struggled um, for years. But just so fortunate we had... Um, we had our own business, so he didn't have to deal with people. I was the one who dealt with people. He became a defense contractor, and I dealt with the defense, you know, with the um, project manager, with, with all the employees and stuff like this. I did that. But then in 1970, 1996, he became so ill, and it was, you always have to bid on contracts, you know, to stay in business. Mm-hmm. I just let the contracts run out and did not bid on them anymore because it was too much traveling, it was too much hassle, and I just took him to a VA hospital, and I told him, I said, you got to take care of my husband. Something has to be done. That's what I did. And then in 2008, I filed a claim because for years we lived on our savings, and then um, he li- we got Social Security, disability, that was a, you know, we couldn't even afford the property in California. Yeah. So we sold the property in California, moved to Michigan. 
and we bought the house for cash, so we don't have any um, mortgage payments. What what happened then, to your claim? Did they did it follow through on oh, it? Oh well, yeah, but in, well, right now um, the the first time the DAV, I was really angry at them. They let it lay there for three years, and there was a form nine was supposed to be filled out. I filled it out and I sent it to them. And they said they didn't receive it, so we lost three years on the claim. So they reopened it after I contacted the congressman and the U.S. congressman, and he got working on it, and they reopened it. I, they didn't, those three years I lost. But the case started again in 2011, and now finally we got something for his jaws when he got injured. And now uh, they wrote us that they need uh, all the evidence for... Uh, uh, from uh, for PTSD, so and I had sent that to them uh, already, but I could only send them what we know. We don't have any because in his files, in the C file, that's just the military uh, medical file, there is nothing mentioned in there whatsoever. So uh, they didn't give him no. Uh, they, that Captain Green, that commander at that time, didn't write it in his file. Oh. So I was just wondering, wondering how many more of them how many more people or soldiers were there actually because my husband said there was a lot of them laying on the grass sorry to end that so abruptly but again my big thanks to charles and ursula morris for helping the podcast out and telling their remarkable story i wish them the best of luck in their efforts to get um, recognized for the problems caused by this uh horrific bombing. Again, if you want to get a hold of me, feel free to email me at richard at richardhuffman.com and and uh, look forward to uh, some other podcasts I have upcoming, including um, a long interview with uh, former United States Congressman Larry LaRocca, who was very good friends with one of the bombing victims of the Heidelberg bomb that happened a couple weeks after this one and, and tells one of the most harrowing stories I've ever um, listened to. Um, that will be on a future podcast. Again, thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.